Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey friends, and welcome back for season three of Quit Your Day Job. I am your host, Alicia Fernandez-Miranda. In this podcast, you'll learn all about the fascinating jobs that people do, some that you might never have even heard of, as you contemplate your own personal and professional future. I started this podcast because I've always been fascinated by jobs. I even quit my own day job to spend a year as an intern. You can read all about it in my new book, My What If Year. It comes out on February 7th, and you can pre-order it right now, everywhere books are sold, or head over to my website, aliciafmiranda.com, for more information. Go ahead. I'll wait. In these times of quiet quitting and great resignations and loud quitting or whatever, I think more people than ever want to follow their passions. Everyone on this podcast has, and I encourage you to do the same. So here's what usually happens with Quit Your Day Job. I go to an event and reconnect or meet somebody, and I'm like, oh my God, how do I get you on my podcast? And Swati is just one of those people whose career defies an easy explanation. And I sat next to her at a dinner recently and uh, was like, oh my God, you have to come on my podcast. So that's the treat you have ahead of you today. Swati has a quote in her email signature, nobody's free until everybody's free. And she is a person who has a love for all things that work towards a work of justice, liberation, and joy for everyone. She has spent her life working across philanthropy, investments, development agencies, socially-minded businesses, academia, and the arts. So you see what I mean about defying easy explanation. And she believes there is always more to discover, to reimagine the world we deserve. I am so, so excited to introduce you to my very good friend, Swati Deepak. Hi, everybody. Hello. Hi, Swati, most of all. Today <laughs> on Quit Your Day Job, we have my very good friend, one of the most brilliant people I have ever met, one of the most dedicated social justice champions I have ever met in my life. I'm so excited, Swati, that you're on the podcast today. I'm so excited. I can't believe that you asked me to be um, a part of this, and I'm so excited to delve in. Swati, I'm so happy you're here. I don't know how I'm even going to bill your podcast because you do so many different jobs. You have so many different interests. You're good at so many things. So we'll see We'll see where we go and where this conversation takes us and what pithy uh, one word we decide to call you. Uh, I can't wait. I'm so excited to be a part of your podcast, um, Alicia. And the love and admiration is very much mutual, although I think I um, adore you and love you more. Oh my God, stop. Okay, well, this is going to be this whole conversation, a massive love fest. But before uh, we talk about how much you love me and how much I love you, I have to ask you a little warm-up round, a few questions of this or that. Are you ready? Sure. Yes, I'm ready. All right. Number one, London or New York? London. Without question. Like you don't even need to think about it. 
No, I think they're pretty close for me, but I think London just has something really special that I can't quite put my finger on. But I do. Oh, I love New York so much. Mm, tough question. All right, but London wins this one. Okay, number London two, wins. vintage or new but sustainable fashion? Oh, vintage, vintage all the way. I love the vintage clothes. And I'm currently in Goa at the moment and have hit up some incredible little vintage shops here and uh, bringing it back to like 1970s uh, yes. Goa vi- hippie vibes. And I love it. Oh my God, yes. I wish I was better at shopping for vintage stuff. I don't have a lot of patience and I I don't, I like to just see things that are exactly in my size and will fit me perfectly immediately, which does not make me very good at shopping for vintage. But there's so <laughs> and in Edinburgh, there's like so many good secondhand stores that I'm trying to get better at it. But I need like a guide, I think. Yeah, I think, you know what, like it's also going with somebody who just loves the vintage. I love going either on my own where I like going with friends where you can just dress up and wear like the most hilarious get up. Like honestly, a vintage store day is just full of like the most belly like filling laughs because <laughs> you could just put together the most hilarious outfits like head to toe sequin dresses with like a corduroy waistcoat and like you know a peaky blinders style hat and crazy doc martin platform boots or something oh and you can just you know imagine a whole other persona of yourself Okay. I love that. Maybe I need to go shopping with you is probably the key. If we can ever find ourselves in the same city, which does not happen that often, but is a joy when it does. All right. Number three, early bird or night owl? I, you know what? I'm both actually. Um, I'm just not so no good sleep. in the middle of the daytime. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's more like I'm not very good in the middle of the day. So I try and do a lot of meetings then so that I can have my like mornings and nights to actually like do my work, if that makes sense. It does. But when do you sleep in between the night owl and the early bird time? Yeah, I do. Like probably four or five hours a night is my usual average, which I know is like crazy. And I'm one of those weird people who doesn't sleep a lot. I'm not on video, but my jaw is dropping. I'm like an eight to nine hour a night person. I know I am. I am sometimes. It's not like I can't sleep for that long, but I don't need it. And I get up and I'm I feel quite restless sometimes. I think that's the thing. Fair enough. Like your go, your brain is going, and you need to get it all. In. Yeah, I can, and I'm excited I, I see that about you. Yeah, I see that about you. <laughs> all right, number four. <laughs> this is this or this or this or that. So, uh, winter, spring, summer, or fall. Oh, you know what? I love spring and summer. They're definitely my favorites. Warm weather I just person. love all of them. I'm definitely a warm weather person, but I love the colors of autumn or fall. And I do love the twinkly lights uh, of the winter time. But yeah, summer, summer, spring, all the way. And tell what's the weather right now in Goa? Tell me. Actually, don't tell me. Okay, tell me. Just tell me. Is it amazing? It's like really, well, it's, yeah, it's sunny, blue skies, you know, blazing hot sunshine. It's really hot. I'm wearing like shorts and a t-shirt. And, but it's very humid. And with curly hair means that my hair is like getting bigger and bigger by the moment. All right, whatever. I just saw you on video and your hair looked great, but fine. Thanks for making me feel better about the freezing rain <laughs> up here in Edinburgh. Um, all right, last question is a question. I have just given you a million dollars to donate wherever you want. Where are you going to put it? 
uh, I would get a group of girls um, from around the world and I would get them to decide what to do with it because in my whole career, there's no one better than adolescent girls making decisions about where money should go, what needs to happen for a better world for everyone. Amazing. Swati, you survived the this or that. Congratulations. Thank you. And that actually leads us really perfectly into the question. So when I was putting my kind of interview guide together for myself, I didn't even really know where to start um, because you do so many different things. But I think there is a very common thread, which is that everything you do is deeply focused on making the world a better place. So imagine you don't know me, we've never met, that would be a sad thing for life, but let's just imagine that. How would you explain your job to me? Well, I think I have several jobs, but everything is about working towards a world of justice and liberation. And I think I come at it from lots of different angles. So my background is a lot in the music and the art space. And so I do believe that, you know, music and arts have like a space of complete transformation. Um, They make the revolution irresistible. Um, They make you want to live in a world where things are that beautiful all the time. And that, you know, being a part of that world, being a part of that space, uh, enjoying and reveling in live music and incredible art, uh, being surrounded by people who see the world in a different way, that gives me so much joy. And I think from arts, I then work in development and philanthropy. And again, that is for me, again, about um, imagining and envisaging the world, uh, not as it is, but how it should be. Mm. And working towards um, how money and resources play a role in getting us to that world. So I think, yeah, for me, the arts world, uh, the music world and the development and philanthropy world, although they sound really disparate to everybody else. For me, they imagine the same thing, which is a much more beautiful present and a really fucking amazing future. I love that. I love that so much. So how do you, so, I mean, you've done kind of a number of different things within those worlds. I was actually going back to your LinkedIn, which is long because you've done so many different and very cool things. (laughs) So you currently, you advise people in their philanthropy, right? So you are helping people with means and assets figure out the right way to make an impact. Correct. Is that an accurate summation? You do a lot in the sustainable fashion world. Tell me what your focus is like in that space right now. So a lot of it is around um, working towards a new version of what the fashion industry should look like. And a lot of that goes to that we need a current fashion industry that actually works for the people and planet and the people who made our clothes and, you know, the planet whose resources are being stripped as a result of and polluted because of fashion. And also about envisaging what's possible. Mm. Um, I work in sustainable fashion and working with, you know, incredible brands who are doing that, that set up from the get-go of wanting to be in solidarity with people and planet. But we also need to change the big giants to get there as well, if we really want a different industry. And how do people kind of find you? to work with you? How do you get your new clients? How do you find new projects? Kind of how does that work usually for you? You know what? I'm really, really lucky, Alicia, and I'm touching wood because I'm very superstitious as I say this, but I've never had to go 
to people. They've always come to me. And I think a lot of that is just through building community. I think Mm -hmm. that in everything that I do, community is so important to me. It gives me like a place of grounding. It makes me really understand what the issues are that need to be addressed and what needs to change. And I think that community also is the one that then, you know, I'll work with one company with one you know country government I'll work with a family or an individual and they refer me to other people so I think I'm really lucky in that a lot of it comes through referrals Mm. and this really deep sense of community I feel like after people listen to this podcast, they will not be surprised that that is the case. I know I am not surprised that is the case. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about your journey. So how did you come to do this work? Uh, I'm sure you did not. Well, maybe you did. Did you lie in bed as a small child and think, I am going to change the world in some way? Like, what was that path for you? You know what? I I don't think it was. I was very much when I was a when I was a kid. I actually found this in my old like contact books from school. You know, in primary school, and I wanted to be like a princess for a really long time. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to wear pretty outfits and like flounce around because I thought that that was definitely what I wanted to do. And then it kind of changed into wanting to be a pilot. So um, I went, yeah, I went suddenly from um, a bit wanting to be a princess to being a pilot. And I think the appeal of the pilot other than the cool outfits is I guess like the ability to transport people and to travel that was always there Mm. so I don't think I ever grew up wanting to be in it but honestly like a lot of my views of, of how the world should look it just you know a lot of it was shaped obviously by my family and where I grew up so my my, I grew up between India and Delhi and uh, India, Delhi and India, Mm -hmm. sorry, Mm -hmm. I grew up, Mm -hmm. I'll start again. (laughs) I grew up between Delhi in India and London in the UK. And I think in the 80s and the early 90s, when, you know, we were going between the two countries a lot, you could see really markedly the differences in opportunities, in the way that me as a girl was navigating the world, the access and the abilities that I had in the UK versus what I had in India uh, and what was just seen as the default. Like you, you won't be able to amount to anything more than this in one context. And, you know, there were more possibilities in one place, but this feeling of like, just depending on where I was and where my feet were, um, my opportunities changed. That felt really, it felt very hard to reconcile as a child. And I remember saying that to my parents who, you know, made the decision, which was really hard for for them to have us in the UK, myself and, and my brother as well. And I think that, you know, like, was just that one situation, one location can just change. And we were privileged. My family was privileged to be able to make that decision. And my mum actually always worked within um, development, within activism. So she was a yoga teacher, but started working with people who had HIV AIDS and worked in palliative care and and health support. Uh, And because of working in HIV and AIDS, worked with a lot of Uh, people from the LGBTI communities, people that were marginalized and minoritized as well. So I always had this reference point of this person who was trying to envisage a a different world, a better world, uh, and wanted to give that to everybody, not just her children as well. So that, I think, instilled something in me. And then I think the other thing that really happened for me is, you know, when I was about seven or eight, 
the school that I went to in South London, one of the older boys from our school, Stephen Lawrence, and um, people in the UK may know mm-hmm. him. Um, he was a young black boy who was, you know, brutally murdered. And, you know, it was, it started off a number of different discussions around race, led to the Race Equalities Act in the UK. But coming from that community and coming from his school and seeing and witnessing what happened at such a young age, I think all those things together just made me just really think about how I should move into the world in a way that feels purpose-driven and feels like I could also find a community that shared some of those visions for what a world could look like rather than the horrors of where it currently was. Yeah. So you kind of had this purpose that you were pursuing. You go to university, you studied social anthropology and comparative religion. Is that right? From your LinkedIn profile? Okay. Yes. yes, So then, so you finish, then what do you, what do you kind of do for a job? Like how do you craft a job after that? What did you do when you finished school and university? So I like, yeah, I mean, I, I love my degree, honestly. Most people couldn't even say it. And honestly, when I was like a young fresher, quite drunk, like trying to say the course that I, I did was a mouthful. Like tongue, a twister. tongue twister. <laughs> definitely. But I loved it. I adored my job. Um, uh, sorry, I adored my, my um, degree. Mm. But when I came out, I think you know, I knew already that it, it was going to be hard to get into something that I studied. And honestly, I studied purely for the joy of studying it. I didn't do it um, knowing that I'd be able to get a job like as a social anthropologist right. afterwards. And so I volunteered my time through university in different organizations. I worked as a research uh, assistant for a cancer charity. So I kind of embedded myself already during my university years into the kind of causes areas Mm -hmm. Uh, and then when I came out of university I started working for um, a national organization that was run by students and other youth activists that was trying to look at how we could get our activism as student volunteers um, recognized in the UK and so we worked together to get student volunteering week onto the UK calendar uh, and launch it at the House of Commons so yeah just out fresh out of university that was what I jumped straight into and then sort of found myself actually working a lot in you know, youth empowerment, youth development. I worked for incredible organizations. So Student Volunteering England was the first, which is no longer it sort of merged with other organizations because um, we wanted to get that agenda much more firmly across all organizations. Mm. Yeah. And I kind of just jumped around if I'm really honest, Alicia, I don't think that there's any one cause that just is the one that you know, is the golden bullet to to the world being different. Um, I went from volunteering to youth empowerment to tech for good to, you know, working on development programs for the Commonwealth Games in India. I got really disillusioned and went into investments in the private sector for a while and looked at healthcare investments um, across Asia then started working in sexual and reproductive health. So I worked for Mary Stopes International and International Planned Parenthood. I just found myself actually loving all the places. You know, I think someone actually once asked me in a job interview, it's like, 
like you jump around a lot. Your CV is really long and you've got loads of different experiences. Like, why is that? Are you just not loyal? You jump around. We're worried that you're not going to be with us for very long. And I think for me, it was always a sense of no one cause can really completely capture you um, when you're working towards a world that's different and your vantage point changes all the time and I'm lucky like my vantage point changes so much um, that I see things from different angles and I want to pursue that I'm like a real curious cat when it comes to that so yeah I've sort of jumped around but wherever I am I give it my you know 100% people say 110% but mathematically incorrect you know what I mean (laughs) But yeah, for me, it's like, go hard or go home, you know, so it's not about putting in days and years and hours. But I think it's committing to communities that you're ever going to be with, because I may not be part of any of those organizations anymore that I've worked in since I left university. The people that I worked with, the causes that I learned from, the movements um, and the activists and the incredible leaders I come across, they still feature in my everyday life. They're still people that I want to be around. They're people that I want to learn from. They're people that I want to follow. And they're people that I believe, you know, are working towards a vision of that world, um, that mythical world that I'm after as well. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So first of all, there's like so much amazing stuff in there. I so even some things I didn't even know about you. You have you you've pursued your passions. You had a music festival at one point. You've uh, been part of a sustainable clothing line. You know you were uh, the uh, head of the Within Four Girls Collective, which I still think is one of the coolest philanthropic projects I've ever had the pleasure to be a part of. But practically, you know, being able to kind of follow your passions is a dream for a lot of people. So. You know, and and I do I do think it requires a lot of confidence to be able to say, you know, I'm not gonna be a lawyer or a doctor or do the one job. You know, I'm gonna follow mm. things that matter to me. I mean, what what is sort of guiding you? Obviously, you've got your purpose, but then kind of on a practical level, like how are you making decisions about what to do next, what projects to take on, when to leave, when to stay? You know, how do you what what's kind of pushing you in that direction? Are you hundred percent intuition, like? Tell me about that thought process. Yeah, I think it's a really hard one because I think, you know, for someone external, it can feel really flippant to move between all these different places or industries. But again, I think it's, for me, there's a bit of intuition. There's also a bit of finding your community as well. And I think it's like, if I feel that there are a 
like that there are these incredible people that I can see myself alongside that I feel that I can bring something unique to the table then I feel like it's worth pursuing. So I remember actually with the whole kind of sustainable fashion side, a lot of it was like, well, apart from loving fashion and wearing fashion, like many of us, I know nothing about the fashion industry really. And, but it was more this sort of, it's so, it's such a, you know, fashion and design is beautiful. And, you know, the clothes that we wear, they bring us so much joy. They bring the people around us so much joy. But then analyzing it as somebody who comes from the development world, when you look at it with a feminist perspective, you realize that 80% of the women who make your clothes are women and girls of color Mm. in the global South who earn less than $21 a month. And suddenly you have an entry point to understanding the industry in a way that you had never thought that you had the opportunity to do so. You start thinking about how how race uh, and the dynamics around race play up within fashion as well. You start thinking about the fact that to change stuff, you need to bring in and amplify the voices of the grassroots um, to the incredible garment workers and the organizers that are, they're the ones who show up every day to envisage like the new world for fashion in a way we could never. And so suddenly an industry and a space that feels very different and almost alien to me suddenly feels like home and it feels like I have background I have skills I have networks that can benefit this cause that can help me learn and move and integrate through it and the same goes with art you know you can look at art through and music through you know who who makes money from music and art um how that works along gender lines with women being you know underrepresented compared to men with people who are white and in the global north being represented more than than those from the global south and suddenly again your community shows up so for me a lot of it is it's not just intuition and the gut feeling it is community that brings me in and you know, even if I don't commit 100% of my time to it or stay there forever, that cause and that community becomes part of my every day. And even though I may not work in it um, several years later, for instance, it doesn't mean that I'm still not championing it. I'm still not talking to people about it. You know, now I, obviously I work in, in more development settings, but I meet philanthropists who are interested in the music and art side they want to you know either uh, look back and and maintain the the arts and the histories of the past or they want to champion the new artists and a lot of that you know you can bring those vantage points to the table and it changes my dynamic because I'm not just somebody who could tell the clients I'm working with about you know, women and girls and and women's empowerment, I can also talk about the arts. I can also talk about the music industry. I can also talk about fashion. Uh, And all of them share the same commonalities, which is that the current systems, all, you know, some elements of them are so beautiful, but they are still broken and we still need justice in all of them. So let's come in and think about how to do that. That's actually like incredible advice though, as well, I think to, to, you know, I think a lot of people are afraid of kind of trying a new field or trying something new. And obviously, this is like what my whole book was about, was going to try new things. But you're absolutely right that you can find entry points and points of connection, you know, within almost anything. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it's just about going to look 
for those. I just, I think that's like really kind of mind blowing. Okay. So I know a typical day or week does not exist for you. So I'm not even going to bother asking you that question, but why (laughs) don't you tell me about today? Like, what have you done today? What are you doing the rest of the day? So today, uh, I'm currently in Goa at the moment, uh, in in southern part of India on the coastline. I'm in southern Goa, and I'm here. A family that I work with is doing a family retreat to plan out their kind of aligned um, strategy for the family, their giving and philanthropy. And so my day actually started by waking up, going to the beach, doing some beautiful morning yoga on the beach. I love to stretch and move my body and I either do that with yoga sometimes if I'm feeling crazy I do it with like hit or high intensity at the gym <laughs> but I also love to dance so um, I have plenty of dance workouts as well that I do but just something that enables me to move but I'm here so why not do it on the beach yeah I then come back I have a delicious breakfast um so I had dosa this morning which oh, are these uh, rice and lentil pancakes that you get in across India, but they come from Southern India and they come with the most delicious chutneys. Uh, So I had dosa when I came back this morning and I usually have hot water and lemon as well, which I feel is just my, I'm like a hot water fan. I don't know why. I feel like it (laughs) tastes so different from cold water. Uh, And I love the taste of it, which I know is really weird and odd. And after my hot water and lemon, I do have coffee as well, because I'm also a coffee fiend like you, Alicia. I was just going to (laughs) ask, there's no way you're sleeping four to five hours a night without caffeine, but go on. Um, and then I did a couple of hours with the family that I'm here with. They're sort of on that they're, they're doing a lot of more kind of like family dynamic and, and trust building today. Um, but we were doing sort of a recap of some of their giving ideas last week, how to follow things up. So I led like a workshop with them this morning. I then came back, had some catch-up calls with, I'm on the board of the Global Fund for Children and Empower the Emerging Markets Foundation. And we've got uh, board meetings this week. uh, And some of the committees I chair was just catching up with the staff there around those elements. I'm doing this podcast recording with you. And then I'll go back to the retreat this afternoon just to kind of like partake in some of the uh, envisaging the world that we want to be in. And then we'll probably have a scrumptious, delicious dinner overlooking the ocean. And then, yeah, maybe I'm staying in a hotel as well that has a lot of like weddings, Indian weddings going on. So I've sort of been mooching around to see (laughs) what the dance floor at these weddings are like and like playing expert, you know, wedding crasher as well. So So I've now, I've now figured out what I'm going to call this episode, the wedding crasher. That, that sums it all up, doesn't it? And and also don't forget to go to the airport to pick me up tomorrow morning because I'm just going to get on the next flight there because that sounds like a pretty great day. (laughs) Yeah, it's a very, very good day. (laughs) Um, Something that I think is amazing about you, Swati, is that you are you're an activist at your core and you now are being brought into all of these spaces of kind of privilege and power. And it feels to me like you don't water down what you are saying and doing for 
an audience that maybe traditionally hasn't always wanted to hear those messages. Is that mm-hmm. the case? Do you feel like you have to change your tone when you go into some of these rooms with very wealthy families or CEOs of big businesses? Or, you know, h- how do you kind of navigate that? I mean, it's definitely really hard because I think, you know, when you work with grassroots activists and you see the the horrors of like what many people go through every day, you have to then, you know, when you come to, uh, you know, meeting with some families or businesses who come from extreme power and wealth, there is a sense of like a disconnect. It is like living in a weird paradox at times because, you know, there is the reality that philanthropy at this scale and this level of wealth inequality also exists because of flawed problems in our system. You know, huge amounts of wealth are not generated in ways that are fully ethical in my eyes, Mm -hmm. only because, you know, whilst I absolutely have a lot of respect for people who work really hard and are, you know, incredibly successful in their work and in their field and in their business, what I find hard is that we live in a world where there are other people who work extremely hard, work all the hours of the day and apply 100% of themselves, but will never, ever be able to attain that level of wealth. And so I think it isn't about how hard you work or your entrepreneurial spirit or your kind of acumen in in the way that you work. It's also like life chances completely reshape that. And so it is really difficult. But sort of thinking back on your question, Alicia, I don't water down what I stand for and the people that I work with and and the world I'm working towards. But I do think there is something around being, you know, becoming more and more as you navigate this situation, um, an expert code switcher. Mm. And I do think when you're, especially, you know, when you're a child of immigrants and you hold two identities, code switching in some way comes naturally to you. You know, I can, I can already, you know, I could be in my classroom with, you know, all all my British classmates, with my teacher and be totally 100% at home there. And I could also go home and, you know, uh, have a full conversation in Hindi or Punjabi or Urdu with my family, speak, read and write, watch movies and be 100% at home in my Indian body as well. So I think, you know, code switching is already inbuilt in me. And that's like a beautiful privilege that my upbringing and my parents gave. But I think it's also then when you go into these places of power and privilege, sometimes you have to know that some things are not going to resonate, not because they're going to alarm people or because they're going to piss people off because it's the truth. Mm. But it's like, you don't want, there's like this beautiful diagram that I obviously can't show you because we can't see each other. Um, And it's sort of this whole, for you to have uncomfortable conversations with people, there's like three concentric circles. The first circle is that you don't say anything to alarm anyone and the conversation remains the same. There's no challenging of someone that happens. The next ring is that you're able to challenge someone enough that they are able to feel a part in building a solution with you. And then the outer circle, which is much more bigger, is that you trigger someone so much that they go into a state of alarm and Mm. they don't want to engage in the conversation anymore. They're like, this person doesn't know what they're saying. They just want to attack me. 
you know, they're never going to see my perspective or vantage point. And so I'm just going to switch myself off from the conversation. It's not my problem. And the thing with being like a good code switcher is staying in that middle bit. It's like you don't want to stay in the status quo because the status quo isn't working for a lot of people. And you don't want to alarm people that they don't see this as part of their fight you know for me it's like I want I want us all as humans to win um and everyone needs to see themselves in in a part of that you know you can't have people who just believe that where we currently are is the only place that we could ever be and you don't want people to feel so removed from the possibility of change that they switch themselves off from the conversation and they just keep going about their lives and going, well, that's shit, but I can't do anything about it. Everyone needs to feel like they have skin in the game. And so, yeah, don't water it down. But I think for me, it's a lot of listening. It's a lot of seeing what resonates for people. You know, a lot of families I work with, many of them have experiences of injustice as individuals or they see it with their children or with other family members or the ways that they've navigated their work. Um, They've had to navigate challenges. And sometimes listening to the ways that they see the world enables you to get that entry point to have the same conversation. So, you know, with, with mental health, for instance, a lot of families I work with have, you know, children who've got mental health issues and a lot of it comes from you know a dissonance from what's going on in the world or you know traumas or triggers that are in childhood experiences and communities that they have or haven't had and all of that gives a family an entry point to understand how easy it is for anyone in society to slip into these places of mental health you know, issues and problems that even with a lot of the support, things around building community, having um, good access points, having people around that can support is something that everyone should have. And so, yeah, everybody, I feel like there's an empathetic person in everyone. And for me, I love the challenge of figuring that out uh, for whoever I work with. Oh my God. Swati, I could talk to you for like three hours about this and your life. (laughs) This has been such... An amazing chat. I usually finish up with a question about practical tips, but I want a particular flavor for for you in this question, very self-interestedly, because I want to know the answer to it. So what practical advice would you give to someone who is maybe struggling to maintain their motivation uh, or drive in what seems like a kind of constant uphill battle for this better world that we all want to see. What advice would you have for somebody that's feeling that? So I think like one of the things for me is always just draw back to whenever I'm having a moment of overwhelm, like, oh my God, there's just too much going on. Nothing I do seems to be sticking. I think the thing that I always go back to is what could this world that I'm working towards look like? How would I feel walking down the street in that new world? Would I feel safer? Would I feel healthier? Would I feel better? What would be the faces of the people around me? And so I do do like a visualization just on what that is. And then I try and remember 
well, who is it that gives me that inspiration? Who makes me remember that that world is possible? And it could be one person. For me, it's many people. And I think just remembering what it is that you're working towards and all the people that are there. I then go back and I honestly, just with my gut, look at all the different things that I'm doing. I list them out and I'm like, are these things working towards that world mm. or aren't they? And I kind of strike them on and off the list, depending on that. And I know, you know, like we also have to balance the realities, right? Which is I got to pay the bills. So like mm. sometimes you've got to be like, well, I've got to keep this job going for a little bit because I need to make rent and I need to pay for, for X, Y, Z. So I think it's not about being devoid from reality, but it's about gaining perspective. And for me, that gives me the moment where I'm like, I am just doing this to for the for the check at the end of it. I don't think this is helping me necessarily work towards that world that I want to be a part of. But it's a really important point. I feel like I'm able to give something and ultimately it's going to pay the bills. But then that gives me the chance to go. If they ask me for a renewal contract, if they want to work with me anymore, I have a much stronger position to say no from as well. So I think just practically, just be really clear about what your like what what is the life and the world that you want to be a part of and doing that kind of orientation feels really important I love that Swati this has been amazing thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking with me today Thank you so much, Alicia. Um, This was lovely. Thank you so much for listening. And yeah, I can't wait to read your book because I want to know all the the same answers in reverse from you. (laughs) (laughs) We'll flip it on its head. All right, my dear. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Quit Your Day Job. We are a Zibby Audio production, and we want to send a huge thanks to Zibby Owens, Chelsea Grogan, and the team at Texture Sound for their support. Don't forget to pre-order my What If Year, sign up for my mailing list on aliciafmiranda.com, and find me on Instagram, at aliciafmiranda. It's the best place to find news about my wild upcoming book tour, future podcasts, and of course, memes about Gilmore Girls and coffee. And if you decide to quit your day job, please share that too. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.